Hey Amazon selling enthusiast, it's Eric here. And if you're tired of the inventory management struggle, I've got a game changer for you. InventoryLab.com. Inventory Lab simplifies e-commerce. Inventory management integrates seamlessly with Amazon and even syncs effortlessly with QuickBooks for hassle-free accounting. Go to Milwaukee Mafia slash IL now because your success deserves efficient inventory management. Happy selling. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. Gavin, we're back again. Yeah. He's he's <laughs> holding in his hand a picture of drawings of guns, it looks like. Yeah. So I'm a little confused on what, where we're going with this. I don't know if he's going to start trying to draw a picture of a gun with his words to everybody. No. <laughs> no. Yes, unfortunately, because of uh, <laughs> how podcasts work, I can't show you this picture. That's You don't need to see it for this episode. It's not really important. And I'll probably post it. I'll probably post the picture on the notes online anyway. If you really want to see it, you can see it on there. That that cool? That that's that works for me. Okay, all right. This is going to be sort of a convoluted episode. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. There are some things that are not super clear, and part of the reason is because I don't feel like I have all the pieces. I'm going to try to be as clear as I can about this. This is a case of misusing patents. This is a case of, yeah, I know, right? So the mafia is misusing patents now. Yeah, yeah, of misusing patents of uh, of uh, creating basically counterfeit goods here. This is a very unusual mob story, for real. Just go with it here. I can see though, because creating counterfeit items uh, that seems very much like a mob territory to go into. Yeah, I'm gonna hand you this picture. Oh, so now he's going to try and make me describe. No, the you don't have to, to describe. You don't have to describe it. I I've seen it. Okay, so I'm going to hand it to you. All right, all right. In the late 1950s, a man named George Schwerbel, pretty sure I'm getting that right, Schwerbel, who by day was an appliance repairman, he patented along with his friend Jack Mann a toy gun that would shoot bubbles out mm. of it. So there would there had already been a patent on a bubble blowing device, and he thought, you know, it'd be fun if I put it into a toy gun, and then kids can go around and, and blow bubbles at each other. Can yeah. can I ask a question? Yeah, is this like in the actual patent documentation? That's the actual patent. Yes. Wow, pretty simplistic for a. I I I've never seen a patent document, so I I just figured it would be a little more more to it than this. Nope. No, okay. I mean, there's there's like the write-up explaining what makes it unique, but that's the drawing. Yeah, yeah, I would assume like for everybody, if you look at this image, it's pictures of this gun and then there's a ton of numbers on it. Yeah. So I assume that there's a separate document that talks about yeah, what the, each it, number is. Right. In the description, it says what each part is. is it? But it's, it is. It's super basic. And then Jack Mann, the other guy who was involved in this patent, he separately patented a holster that was designed to fit this gun. Okay. Uh, but we don't the holster's not important to our story today. This is this is how simple patents were. Maybe they still are, but how simple they were like his holster is nothing special. Like it's the only thing that makes it unique is that it was designed just to fit that particular item. Gun. Okay. I guess you could patent that. 
Well, anyway, they had done this, and then they transferred the rights to the patent to a company called Dynamic Industries. Okay. All right? And unbeknownst to them, Dynamic Industries then passed the description and everything on to another company called Atomic Industries. (laughs) Okay. All right? Got this? I'm following you so far. Okay. The original company they passed it on to was run by Gus Chiaverati and a man named Bob Schaefer. I don't know who Bob Schaefer is. The company that they passed it on to was also run by Gus Chiaverati, but along with him was Frank Ranney, who's a mobster, teamster guy, Frank Balistrieri, who we know, mm-hmm. and Frank's father, Joe. The original patent holders do not know that this has been passed on to a third party. party. Okay. Frank then goes to New York. He goes to this annual toy show, this big national toy show. He's there representing Atomic Industries, and he's showing off their new plastic gun. says, look, our new gun that shoots bubbles, trying to get other people interested in it. When, at this point, what he has is kind of skirting the patent, because he doesn't have the patent to it. been sold... This from this other company, which is also kind of owned by the same people. It's like I said, it's going to get complicated. So, so does, but, but basically what's going on here is the people who have the patent aren't making the gun. They just gave the description to a third party. Okay, so Dynamic Industries still holds the patent. Gave it to... Atomic. Whatever, atomic Industries. They're manufacturing it. Right. Okay. Right. This goes on for a while with some... They get away with it for a bit. On top of this, they do another interesting thing. They have it manufactured, because, of course, you know, Frank's not sitting there putting together these guns. They have it manufactured at first by a company called Neopac. Neopac then changes its name to Parapac. Okay. And so what, what Frank and Gus and these other guys do is they then create this company called the Paracorporation. Not Parapac, the Paracorporation. Okay. And they have them built there. They now have a company that has a similar name to the old company that was building them, and they're building them without the rights because the rights are held by this previous company. I know, I know. It's so goofy. It's so goofy. But really, the rights are still, shouldn't the rights still be held by Dynamic Industries? They are. <laughs> like like para para pack has no rights to cuz it would have just been on their like contract right with right i am so confused yeah well this is just this is just so they're now creating it basically in house without another place doing it but they're using a similar name of the company i i don't know I why they i assume that this is kind of like the mask who's doing it i don't really get it either I don't think they're st- – at this point, I don't think they're doing anything illegal, though. At- Not with the manu- – well, they are in that they're selling it, and they don't have the rights to it. If- because Dynamic Industries does, Atomic Industries does not. But di- So Atomic Diam- Industries is making it without paying the original patent holder. Okay, so somehow Atomic Industries is doing all this without Dynamic really knowing? No, they do know. 
See, this is complicated. And that, but then that shouldn't be illegal. Then, if Dynamic Industries is okay with it, you can use somebody else's patent if if you have permission from them. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that's how patent law works. I'm not a lawyer though, so don't take my word for that. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, either way, <laughs> the point here, the point here is that the patent holder had an agreement with Dynamic Industries, and then Dynamic Industries handed it over to Atomic Industries, who does not have an agreement with the original patent holder. Okay, I, okay. I, I am also not a patent attorney. <laughs> okay, so the way you described it before, it sounded like the patent holders gave the patent to Dynamic Industries, but no. they just made a deal with Dynamic Industries to, to take it. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Okay. So weird. Oh, see, this is this is a mess. <laughs> okay. Anyway, all of this is going on. Of course, eventually, while these things go to sale, the original patent holders find out because this is going to become really obvious when they see their thing on the market. They sue, they succeed, and they end up getting awarded 10% of the profit from each gun produced. So the original patent holders kind of come through on this one, except for the fact that after the lawsuit goes through, they more or less are no longer really interested in producing the gun. Sales kind of abruptly stop after that. I did check, and if you want to, you can go on eBay and order an Atomic Industries bubble gun. They, they <laughs> In the package, people still have the originals floating around. Nice. If you want these like weird counterfeit mob guns, they do exist out there. That is not the end of the story. We're going to try this again. We're going to try this again. I know that was confusing. We're going to try it again. Got uh, Gus uh, Schiavarati, who was connected to dynamic industries and atomic industries and he's you know a mob guy now he's got another business called king sales all right okay and he somehow has got a hold of this toy telephone from another business called karen industries okay I'm trying to keep this simple. I know it's weird. And the the Karen Industries phone is this toy telephone. It's two plastic cups that transmit and receive. It's really like a super basic toy. It's cardboard and string and it's not it's not incredibly like high tech. Their phone, the Karen Industries phone is called the Hi Phone. H I phone. Hi phone. Okay. Okay. King Sales, which is the mob-affiliated company says, hey, we're kind of interested in developing this. They get the description and how to build it and all this and that. And then they say, okay, we're no longer interested in doing this. <laughs> but that's a lie. Because then they take it to another company and then they start manufacturing it illegally, basically, yes. right? Yes. So then they take it and they make... They make a toy called the High Line Phone. The original is the High Phone. <laughs> There's just the High Line Phone. Okay? Okay. And at first, they're able to get away with this because they intentionally look at where Karen Industries is marketing it. And they sell theirs in different states that are not not there. They're like, we're not directly competing. We're going in other areas. Karen Industries eventually finds out, and they sue, and this lawsuit does not go well 
for the mob, for Gus and, and Frank and these other guys who are invested. And at this point, they actually they bring in a, a real legitimate investor, a man named Albert Reinhardt, who owned a company called Real Refrigeration in Milwaukee, which still exists. Albert Reinhardt has passed, but his family still owns the company. But he was a legitimate guy, not mob affiliated at all, except for this <laughs> venture where he's brought in. Here's here's where they run into some real problems. First of all, like they've ripped off this toy, right? Mm-hmm. It's not super like sophisticated, but they've ripped off this toy. But the problem is, is when they go to do the packaging, they rip off the packaging as well. <laughs> okay. So the original phone has on the the box or the whatever, the card that it's on, has phrases that say string telephone for boys and girls. It really works. Sensational toy. When they make the counterfeit version, they use all the same. They use the exact same (laughs) phrases. (laughs) They put them in different places. It's not like they didn't just print out the same thing, but they put them different. But they use the exact same thing. It really works. Sensational toy. No effort to even try to make their own version. Can I can I interrupt? Because I just want to say, because I think now the story is starting to become clear to me. Okay. So for anybody that's confused or like the way I was about this, yeah. I understand what's happening now. So I'm the- probably not great at this is this is similar to like the bankruptcy fraud <laughs> story where like it's it's complex and it's hard for me to explain these things. So basically what the what they're doing is they're going to a company that has the the blueprints for a toy. Yeah. They're using a second they're using like in the first example it was Dynamic Industries. I'm not sure if you said the name of the second one, but we're just going to use the first one. So I went to Dynamic Industries. Dynamic Industries went and got made an agreement with those creators for the toy. Yeah. So they could get the designs of it. Yeah. And probably in that agreement, there was a profit sharing yes. part portion of it. So yes. the found, creators were supposed to get something for them using it, but they didn't want to pay that. So then they took well, now they had the designs. They took and gave those designs to a third company, and just started producing which was, which it. Was partially owned by the same people from the right. first one. Yes, right. And either way, even if it wasn't partially owned. It's completely illegal to then give it to them and just let them start selling it. Right. Which I don't know how they thought this was going to work. I mean, at least they got smarter with the second toy where they tried to sell it where the other company wasn't. Yeah. But I still feel like this is not a very good strategy because <laughs> it's always going to catch up to you. Right. Well, like on the first one, like, yeah, you're right. It's It doesn't make any difference if it's the same people running it or not. I'm just saying that all they did to try to cover their butts on that was just basically change the name of the business. Right. And clearly it worked for a little while. Yeah. that's If you're going to make this in like mass quantity, it's, that's probably not going to fly. Yeah. Anyway, so they get they get sued for the phone. Gus Chiaverati, he goes to court. He testifies that at the time of the lawsuit, he has an inventory of approximately one and a quarter million sets <laughs> of the toy. <laughs> Wow, and they weren't going small with this either, were no. they? <laughs> no, he said already he had 350, 350,000 to 400,000 already assembled, ready to go on the market or on the market. The rest of them were in his factory in parts, you know, over a million basically 
in his in his uh, possession. He said that he had invested approximately eighteen thousand dollars in in getting this up and running. So he could get a what did you say like a million of these things in for eighteen thousand dollars? Yeah, <laughs> wow, that's yeah. impressive. Well, it's basically string and cardboard. Yeah, yeah, but I'm still that's that's a lot of cutting cardboard and stringing strings through it. Yeah, yeah. He said, and part of his defense was like. This is just a novelty item. I mean, this isn't like an electric train or anything. He's, this is going to be on the market for about a year, and then kids are going to get sick of it. He's like, this isn't like a major thing, which is not a valid defense, but he but he tried that. Mm-hmm. Judge said, nope. The evidence clearly shows that the defendant, Gus, not only intentionally copied the unpatented toy of the plaintiff, also deliberately adopted a close facsimile of the plaintiff's trademark in a manner calculated to appropriate to himself the goodwill built up by the plaintiff. So I guess on the on the one hand, at least this one wasn't patented, like the bubble gun. Still, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, and I don't know, I feel like just the the um if it was unpatented, the only thing they probably did wrong was the packaging was too similar. That was, yeah, that was probably the big part. That's probably because that's a like a likeness right? Yeah. thing to it. The trademark part of it, not really. Because if it wasn't unpatented, if it wasn't patented, I don't think they have any rights to. I mean, I guess you have to change it slightly. That's, I mean, you put a little cut in the corner or something that make it a little bit different and you're covered. Yeah. After these two incidents, Paracorporation, which is now the mob's owned manufacturing company company. for this stuff, continues on for a little while. The FBI starts talking to Albert Reinhardt, who's like the legitimate guy connected to this, because they're like, he's probably the most likely person who's going to talk to us here. Frank Balstrey is not going to talk to us. Gus is probably not going to talk to us. But Reinhardt might talk to us. So they... They talked to Reinhardt, and Reinhardt is actually pretty uh, pretty talkative with them. He says, since the lawsuits were settled, Frank Balstry seemed to be taking a more active interest in the company, actually stopping into the office a couple times a week and looking over the books and signing checks. Reinhardt told the FBI that he did not understand how Balstry was able to su- successfully run nightclubs because he seemed to show no real acumen as a businessman. <laughs> This success had him mystified. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. They interviewed him a second time, and Reinhardt then said, yeah, I was brought into the company through Gus Chiaverati. I thought he was a really good salesman. He made a really good pitch, so I convinced to join through him. Since that, um, Gus is very rarely around. I never see him. And since Frank has been around more, Frank Belstreet has been around more, he's been bringing around a guy named Walter Broca, now in charge of manufacturing. But it's really clear that Broca has no idea what he's doing. Some random guy who's around here overseeing things. He said Gus Chiaverati was paid $150 a week. Broca was paid $130 per week. But he's like, I don't really know. What where this? Where, well, yeah, what they're doing here. <laughs> the business isn't really very successful. It hasn't been going well. He goes, I've acquired two-thirds of the stock. Frank Belstery has one-third of the stock. Frankly, I'm thinking about getting out of the business because it's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I don't get it. He goes, at this point, I'd be even willing to sell the company at a loss. <laughs> the guy that you're talking about right now that's that's talking to them that's the guy that they brought in that owned like the company real refrigeration okay yeah yeah. 
Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was on the same page with who the person was. Yeah. And less than a year after they talked to him, the Parrot Corporation did actually go under. So Reinhardt was like out. He was he was probably happy to be out. <laughs> and the building that it was kept in from there on out, which we'll probably return to in a future episode, they started using it to fraudulently make jukeboxes. They they took old jukebox parts and made jukeboxes out of them and sold them as if they were brand new fancy new ones. They so, they used the space for even more questionable purposes. But So my in my head I'm envisioning this. They get an old jukebox, they like break the outer casing off of it or something, yeah. put a new one on so it looks brand new. Yeah. But it's got all the same crap in it that Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 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 Other than the fact this is like more complicated than it should be. It's a it's a pretty straightforward thing. For a couple of years, they were in a business where they were mass producing toys that they did not have the rights to mass produce. And they only did. This is the primary story of this happening. And this experiment was a. They failed miserably at it. Essentially, yes. I right. don't know how many toys they made. I, I, you know, like how what the variety was. These were the two that they got in trouble for. So there may have been other toys, mm-hmm. but these are the two that really got got the publicity because it was so obvious how badly they were ripping off people. And this is like, I mean, this little project here. Now it may have failed miserably, but man, the scope that could have reached if they would have made it work. I mean. That could have been huge, man. Yeah, for the mafia, like that could have been. Yeah, a lot, a lot of money they could have been ma- making. Right, I don't know what this is. So the the telephone. So his guy's investment is eighteen thousand dollars, right? And it's just cardboard and string. So I don't know like what this sells for, but let's say it sells for fifty cents. Mm-hmm. If he made a million of them, he just made a half million dollars. Yeah. Off of any, what he said was an eighteen thousand yeah. dollar investment. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know how those numbers really work out. It sounds like there was massive profit to be had in that. Yeah, and now did anybody prior? This was just Frank, right? That prior what to this, the mean? mafia wasn't getting into project. I mean, this is big, man. Yeah, this is like huge. I have no idea why they took this turn. Where this idea came from, I have no idea. But it, it must have just. But yeah, they like weren't Frank really in any such big. In- well, but he wasn't even. Was he the boss at this time, or was this just? He probably not when it started, but by the time it was done, yes. So he would have already been pretty big, but not the boss. So they they would have in been, the beginning. So this would have been done in when John Aliota was the boss, right? Wow, yeah. in the beginning, yes. And I, I would have just assumed they wouldn't be taking on such big projects at that point in time. Yeah, you know? I don't know if this is the kind of thing they would have even tried to clear. They would have just been like, "Oh, it's a business investment," you know? It, like this might not have really been a clear mafia sanctioned project it might have yeah. just been frank and a couple of people going off and trying yeah. to do something and it and was it was clearly it was it was mob connected because it was frank his father who was a mob guy frank ranny who was a mob guy and gus Chivarotti, who was a mob guy everybody involved except albert reinhardt was a mob guy and the original the original guy who got the patent to the the bubble gun with gus 
Bob Schaefer, who I have no idea who Bob Schaefer was. Probably not a mob guy. Because mm. it's really clear that even if this wasn't mob sanctioned, like from the top down, these were definitely guys who were totally okay with scamming people. <laughs> right. And in, on a large, large scale, like they're not thinking about small, simple things anymore, man. This is big. Right. You know? Right. And up to this point, the biggest thing I think you've probably talked about, well, I guess probably some of the gambling could have been big, but the only other thing that really like reaches this is when when they were when they were stealing from the distributors and shipping it all up to Detroit. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's kind of in this wheelhouse, but this is could have been so much bigger than even that could have yeah. ever been. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of this that I I needs to be developed more. The the problem for me, is that when it started, the FBI was not heavily involved. And by the time it ended, the FBI was more involved with actively looking into these guys. A lot of what I'm seeing is kind of after things have kind of collapsed. Oops. And I'd love to see more of when things were active, which would be like in the court documents. When the lawsuits happened, I'm sure there would have been a lot of background information in that. I don't, I don't <laughs> have that. I would be curious, too, if you could somehow get these companies that they were creating to do these. I mean, their tax documents must be. Mm -hmm. Well, are tax documents publicly available? The tax documents wouldn't be publicly available. I mean, they their annual filings would be, their incorporation records and things like that. I don't know what that so would you, show. But. Well, it would show how long the companies were around for before they yeah. were dissolved. Yeah. But it's not really going to show you like, because what would be interesting to see is how much money was flowing through these companies to see yeah. how big this thing could have been. I've looked into business records before because the when a company no longer exists, the old business records... I'm saying that so vaguely. Business records. I don't know what they're called. You know the incorporation documents. And okay. Um, yeah. Like they go to they go to the state historical society, and what's interesting to me about those? There's not a lot of information. They're so extremely basic. You you know this as a mm. business owner. But what's interesting is when people sign the documents, because when you have to start a company, there's who's the president, who's the vice president, who are your officers or whatever. And in your case, it's like it's just you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but 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 sometimes but sometimes got like four or five, five people, people on these documents, and that's kind of fun to see. Like when you know that they started up a business, you know who's probably going to be the president. That's like the guy who runs the company. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you might see another name on there as an officer, and you're like, oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. That that's fun to see. I don't know that anything surprising would show up here because we kind of know who was involved. Yeah, but. yeah. If there was a way to just see just what they were doing, that would be really interesting to know because cause this is kind of an eye-opener to me how how elaborate this scheme was. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like it just basically fizzled out and died. Yeah. Uh, never really even went anywhere. But God, what if they had been doing this for years and years and this is just finally when they got caught for it? Yeah, I don't think... They maybe made a profit off of this because they were selling for a while before they got in trouble. I don't know. I mean, after the lawsuits and stuff, I don't know how much they really came out ahead on this one. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they won. Also, 
you only know so much. You only, I only know, know so much. Right? You only know when they got arrested. Right. Whereas, I mean, this this thing could have been going on for for years. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And I, you're absolutely right. And and I would love to know more. And like I said, like this is this one's kind of this one's kind of. I think I said that right off the bat. This one, like, there's pieces missing because it just didn't make it into the public until you know the lawsuits. And the lawsuit's like, I only have basic pieces of that because it's not easy to get the documents from a lawsuit. These are, they exist, but mm. they're so buried, the old courthouses and stuff now. Like, I can get them, but it would take a little work. Yeah. And it's and it's like, do I want to spend my day <laughs> trying to find this? Is it worthwhile? Maybe. Maybe it is. You never know until you do it, really. Right. So... I don't know. I think that was a pretty cool story. So I don't. Yeah, I, even, I don't. It, but it, but it, it's it, right it, in it, my it, wheelhouse. So I, I I love this story. But it's like I said, it's it's complex it's, because anytime they do one of these things where they set up these fake businesses, it gets really confusing. And, and the unfortunate thing is, is that when you set up a business, there isn't a lot to like. Unless that business ends up in the news or something like that, there's just not a whole lot to see about a business that you can publicly access. Right. Other than the fact that you know there was a business and they operated probably from this year to this year. Right. That's about all you can see with a business. You can't really see too much of what they were doing, how long they were doing it for. Yeah. Unless, and at what scale they were doing it for, unless you get a hold of documentation that you just can't access right publicly, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll throw that for people for people who don't know like at least i don't know how other states operate but in wisconsin you file your articles of incorporation um which is like super basic it's like the most basic form imaginable and it's like 15 bucks mm-hmm. and so that goes on file and then each year you file your annual thing which is another 15 bucks but I actually think it's ten bucks. Is it ten? Well, whatever. It's, yeah. it's cheap. It's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. And and like that's really all there is. And so if you like look up a company, all you know is when they were incorporated, and then eventually, Wisconsin marks them as in bad standing. And in bad standing doesn't even mean the business ceased to exist. It just means they got really lazy about filing their <laughs> paperwork. <laughs> because sometimes if you look them up, they'll say in bad standing. And then five years later, they'll say return to good standing or something <laughs> restored to good standing, something like that. Which just means that like they're like, oh, yeah, we didn't file our paperwork. So then you can file it and the state's like super laid back about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're good again. So that's like, funny. <laughs> so there's a, there, you know this. <laughs> I, I've never not filed it. So You've never I been in bad standing? I, I've never, as far as I know, maybe we should go look at Maybe I am in bad standing. So, but they don't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, it's just a way to get fifteen dollars. Yeah, it. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. like so many things in the government. It's just it's just a way to collect a little bit of money. From yeah, it, and then so. and then eventually the company, if it's been in bad standing for too many years, it becomes involuntarily dissolved. Involved. Or if the company actually says that they're going to break up, it's administratively dissolved. dissolved. Yeah, although so I, obviously you've looked at a lot of these then to know all this difference. I spend an unusually yeah. large amount of time on the WDFI website. Yeah. yeah. The Wisconsin Department of Financial Institutions. Yes. I, which is why the corporations are on financial institutions. I don't know, but that's what they're filed under. 
You don't you don't hang out at the WDFI? No, no, I go there once a year to file <laughs> the report you're talking about. <laughs> I the only reason I do it is sometimes I think it's fun to like see who owns a business. I just like to see who's like the owner of record for something. I don't know. Maybe so, so you just start randomly looking up businesses and saying, "Oh, that's who owns that," or whatever. Well, sometimes. Well, it's not as weird as it sounds because <laughs> part of part of my day job is doing the history of different businesses and stuff in town in where I work. It's not like it's me being like weird, being like, "I wonder who owns this business." That's part of putting together business history is seeing who the registered agent is. Mm-hmm. And and it would be kind of fun to go look at Kakana for anybody who doesn't know. That's where Gavin works. Yeah. It's a very small town, and there's tons of little bars in here that never change names. But I bet you if you go look at WDFI, yeah. you'll see that bar's probably changed owners like 12 times over the last 15 oh, years easily. or something like yeah. that. So you always think it's the same bar, but it's really not never the same bar because it's constantly switching to owners. Yeah, that's true. But all right, I think we went off on another slight rabbit hole there. So we sure I, did. Did we finish the story? Or yeah, that's that's it. A, I was gonna say like it's supposed to be a super short, super basic story. It's just complicated it because is. because these these fake businesses make everything harder Weird. than it should be. All right, well, I think that that means we can wrap this episode up. As usual, if you enjoy this podcast, we would enjoy you to leave a review on your favorite podcast player we also have a patreon you can check that out at milwaukeemafia.com or patreon.com slash milwaukeemafia or in your show notes it will have a link to that as well as we do have a newsletter the first newsletter did go out at the beginning of this month did it yes hopefully if this is going to be released in march probably not okay well, and it probably went out last month. Yeah. The the first newsletter went out in the month of March, and we will be doing that. If you are interested in keeping up on what's coming up in our future episodes of Milwaukee Mafia, as well as what has happened in Milwaukee Mafia, as well as what's going on in the Patreon and what's going on in Gavin's world, yeah, jump over to MilwaukeeMafia.com and get signed up for that. It's everywhere. You can't miss it. Yeah. If you if you can't find the newsletter sign up on the website, you're probably blind. And I haven't even seen it, so I hope that it's I hope that it's awesome. I signed up, but I think I signed up like a day too late. That's possible, yeah. I think it went out. I don't remember when it went out. It was it was shortly after I sent you the message. Yeah, you said you said it was together. going out today and then I signed up, but I probably signed, signed up, up after you just sent it. Maybe I should go check and make sure it actually got sent out. Yeah. Maybe the <laughs> mailing list didn't work right. But all right, with that, do you got anything you... Oh, Gavin. What? Do you have a way to contact? be contacted? Oh, yeah, you know it. <laughs> We're all over the place. <laughs> We're having a day here. Yeah, go to MilwaukeeMafia.com, as Eric has already mentioned, or directly, you can email MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. I've gotten much better about checking it regularly and getting back to people. Sometimes people would have to wait a week. Now, uh, I'm usually checking it every other day. Yeah, you got any questions, comments, whatever, you know, send it along. Awesome. And with that, we'll uh we'll end this episode that has just been all over the place. Yeah. We apologize for that. It's been it's been a break in podcasting, so we're not in our normal rhythm. But we will be back next week with the Patreon episode and two weeks with the new mafia episode. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia Podcast. 
Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.